So we are coming to the final part now of our Inside Out series. It's just been explained on the video what it is. Hi to everyone who's watching online. Great to have you uh, with us. Um, and really, it's got the idea that we, we, all of us, have emotions. We feel things. We feel anger. We feel frustration. We feel happiness. And emotions are part of what it means to be human, and then they are good, but actually sometimes they can be bad. And there's two ways they can be bad. Sometimes we can bottle it in until we get to the point where we implode, and we, just are, we damage ourselves. But also sometimes if we can do the opposite, we can explode, and we can damage other people. And really what we've been looking at in this series is what Becky called in the first um, part, the Goldilocks zone. Not too hot, not too cold, just right. And how can we manage our emotions to the extent where they're good for us? And as the video reminded us, we've been looking at fear, we've been looking at anger, and this morning we're going to be looking at sadness and joy. Sadness and joy, which I must admit has been a tricky thing to work out. Uh, this week in the planning. But I just want you to take some time out now, just as we kind of come into this subject, to use your memory, and I want you to think back to times in your life when you have experienced joy. Have a think. When have you experienced joy? Birth, marriages, holidays. Just think, what comes to mind? When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the time when I was dating my now wife. We used to go between London and Ipswich. I was in Ipswich, she was in London. And I just loved that year that we spent uh, dating. Uh, and it was just a wonderful time. And it fills me with joy when I think about it. Also, with the birth of my first daughter, when I, I held her in my arms when she'd just been born, and how heavy she felt. She wasn't heavy at all, but, you know, it'd been a hard time for me. Um, <laughs> so she felt very heavy. When have you had experienced joy in your life? But now I want you to think a bit differently. I want you to think, when have I experienced sadness in my life? Death, struggles, stress. For me, what came to mind was when Jan was pregnant with our second child, Eve. And pretty early on in the pregnancy, she was, started bleeding. And it was touch and go throughout the whole pregnancy whether Eve would survive. And every time she bled, she had to spend time in, Christ in um, Christmas, in, in hospital. And I remember that point when we'd been taken in on the ambulance and we're sitting in the hospital and the doctor says, right, now it's a time when she would be viable, but actually she's probably going to be disabled. And how sad and scary that time was. Now, thankfully, um, Eve came out absolutely fine. She held on. She was a little bit early, and there was a few issues, but she's, she's strong and healthy. But think back to those sad times in your life. See, sometimes looking back, we can think, if only I could get rid of all those sad times and just keep the joyful times. If only I could remove from my memory those times when life has been hard and a struggle and difficult and sad, 
And I can just keep those times in my life when I feel happy and there was joy and everything was good and the sun was shining, not like today where it's miserable. If only it could be summer and never winter. You want to wish away those sad times. And then sometimes it's easy to look forwards and say, if only I could skip those bits. We can become maybe fearful of times which we know are coming, which are sad. See, my wife loves to watch 24 hours in A&E or ambulance. She used to be an A&E nurse. It's, you know, it's just something she really loves. And I just sit there and I watch it and they, they say things like, you know, you never know what's around the corner. You know, this could be, I'm there with people in the worst moments of their life. I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't want to have to think about these things. Who knows what's going to happen? And I just want to avoid that. I just want to keep all the joy and get rid of all the sadness. There's a film that came out a few years ago called Click. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's not a particularly well-known film. It's starring a comedian called Adam Sandler, who I don't particularly like, so I wouldn't recommend him. But the film had a serious message. It basically followed a guy who was living the American dream. He had a, a family. He was a successful architect. And his TV remote control goes wrong. And he goes off shopping to buy a new remote, a universal remote for his TV. But what he gives is a, given by some strange bloke is a universal remote control that doesn't just control his TV, but it controls his life. And it enables him to fast forward through all the bits he doesn't like. So his body kind of goes onto autopilot and just carries on through life, but his mind disengages from reality and then clicks back in again when they press play on a remote. It's not a true story, by the way. See, what he does is every time life is boring, every time he's feeling impatient, every time he's feeling sad, any time life gets difficult, you know, an argument with the wife, difficult children, he presses fast forwards. And really what you see in the film is he ruins his entire life because he just disengages from life. See, there is sad bits in life. There are joyful bits in life, but that is life. That is what life is like. There is the mundane, there is the exciting, there is sadness, and there is joy. There are ups and downs. But I think what we need to take grasp of at the beginning of this talk is it's those ups and downs that create the person that we are. They kind of give a third dimension to what would otherwise be a very flat personality. It's those sad times and those joyful times that mature us. But my question, and this has been the question of the series, is how do we get that Goldilocks zone where in particular those sad times don't damage us, but instead help us to be mature and a better, more well-rounded person? Oh, I just realized I've got the clicky thing. Yeah. How are we getting on? Oh, there we go. Oh, that went twice. Um, I made a mistake. His name is Dr. Kate Fowler, not Fowler. But never mind. She says this. This says, the world is jolted by, jolted by events that are wonderful and terrible and gorgeous and painful. I'm only pressing it once, and it's going absolutely mental. 
Yes, if you could click on forward, please. I can't reconcile the contradiction, except that I am beginning to believe that these opposites do not cancel each other out. Life is beautiful, and life is so hard. Life is beautiful, and life is so hard. This kind of echoes some words from um, uh, Proverbs which I think is on the next thing. Um, Proverbs is a book in the Bible, and it's really it's a collection of wise sayings from a father to a son. Now, some of them don't make a lot of sense to us because it's written a few thousand years ago. We don't quite understand it. But the reality is human beings have not changed in all that time. And the wisdom there is very much still wisdom now. And it says this, even in laughter, the heart may ache. At the end of joy may be grief. See, joy and sadness are not mutually exclusive. They can actually be at the same time. They can operate at the same time. That we can find sadness in our joy, and we can also find joy in our sadness. I'm going to pick up that a little bit later. But I'll go back to the question. How do we get it so that these sad times and these joyful times work together to create who we are in a positive, healthy way without just messing up our lives completely? And I think I just want to highlight something that we, te- a temptation that we have uh, when we try and manage our lives is to fake it till you make it. I don't know if you heard of that phrase, fake it till you make it. In other words, pretend to be what you want to be until you are like that. If you want to live a life which is positive and happy and full of joy, well, just act that way, regardless of the situation, regardless of what is happening to you, just act like that. It's kind of a a false optimism about life. It's a happy facade that hides the difficulties that we might be facing in our lives. We do that in social media. That's the whole thing about social media stuff. But in reality, we don't just do it in social media. We do it in our social circles as well. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm all right. You you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, we know that we're not fine. We try to hide the difficulties, and the sadness that we are facing. Christians, if you're a Christian here, I'm looking at you because we're not that much better, really. How many times have you gone up to someone, you know, struggling, and they say, no, everything happens for a reason. God is good. I give thanks in every circumstance, which is technically true, But actually, all you're doing is pretending that everything is okay when it really isn't okay. There's a um, mega church pastor called Joel Olstein, who you may have heard of. He leads the biggest church in America. And he wrote a book, and it's a saying which has really been picked up by the world, really, is your best life now. Live your best life now. Live the life that you want to have. Be positive. Use the power of your positivity to bring into being the joyful life that you want to experience. And because of that, sometimes sadness and not being right and not being okay can become a kind of unofficial sin. And we think that somehow we can manage our life so that we can get rid of 
all bad stuff. But the reality is, is that sometimes in life there is no silver lining. Sometimes in life things cannot be fixed. Sometimes in life plans do go wrong and stuff happens. And we don't get to choose between what we like and what we don't like. There is no reason to fight. And we cannot find strength within ourselves. Sometimes sad times are sad. And there's nothing we can do. We can't manage our life to avoid those things that just come out of nowhere, like on 24 hours in A&E, that just wipe us out and help feel sad. And bottling it in and hiding it is going to do more damage than good. I want to read you a quote from Simply, the Simply Health blog, which was written last year. It says, from financial worries to work issues, men's propensity, not just men, but is in particular, and I'll come to why in a minute, men's propensity to bottle uh, things up and a culture of toxic masculinity have enabled this silent but deadly killer to continue to take the lives of men all around the world. See, the biggest single killer of men under the age of 45 is suicide. The biggest killer of men under the age of 45 is suicide. And this blog here is saying, through a charity that work with mental health and men, is saying it's caused by bottling it up and not talking about it, not admitting it, and trying to project some sort of facade that says you're all okay. I mentioned that quote earlier from a doctor, Kate Fowler, not Fowler. Uh, this is a picture of her here. She's a, she's a Canadian. She's a Christian. Uh, she's very successful. She has a, a, a lovely family. You can see there a husband who she fell in love with, with age 14, you know, uh, school sweetheart, uh, a young child. She's a successful uh, speaker, sought after all around the world to come and speak. And we can look at the facades, the outward appearances, and go, wow. I would love to have her life. She has everything that I want in my life. But that's just a facade. Actually, when she was age 35, she was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. Incurable. And she was told, there is nothing we can do. You're going to die. Now, she went out of her way to try and get as much help as she can. She, she went in for a, 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 a new trial, uh, and it's actually managed to make her not better, but sustain her life. She's now 42, I think. And although she's still alive and still able to do many things, her life is very much in the balance. She is not cured, and she has to constantly live with that death hanging over her. And what do I do with my child? She writes letters to a five-year-old child just to show to him you know, how important he is to her because she knows that she might, probably won't be there when he's older. And all that she, he, 
he will have are those letters from his mother. But she would argue, actually, you can still find joy in amongst the sadness. Because otherwise, if you're in a situation like that, if you can't find joy in the sadness, you might as well just die now. What's the point? But actually, there is a point. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, uh, it's in the New Testament. And it's one of the um, letters that a guy, came, a guy called Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And at the, at the end of that letter to the church in Philippi, he says these words. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice. Be joyful all the time. And we think, well, how, how on earth can we do be joyful all the time? How we can, we, can we rejoice? And it becomes even more troubling, pr- troubling and problematic when we realize the context of this. So Paul was a guy who was going around trying to build the church. He was going around preaching about Jesus and telling people about Jesus. And this got him in a lot of trouble. And what we see in, in here is him at the end of a journey where he had been beaten. He had been accused of wrong things. He had been shipwrecked a number of times. I think he needs to choose his books, his boats better. Um, and he's on this court case, it has ended up with him being in Rome in house arrests, unable to have freedom. And what we need to realize is that what we know what happens to Paul ends up being executed. So life is not going well for Paul. He says these words to the Christians in Philippi and to us as well. Rejoice in the Lord always. But we're going to look at the beginning of the letter in chapter 1 and verses 12 to 21. And I want to just draw out some practical Practical points, really, about how we can attempt to be joyful despite sadness. So I'm going to read um, to you and just draw those things out. So verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now she's talking to brothers and sisters. What we do realize when we read Paul's letters, we've got quite a few of them. He had a big network of friends. He had strong relationships. He had people come to stay with him, to look after him, to help him. And he refers to often a lot of these people by name. And he's very honest with the way he is feeling, the struggles he has in his letters. And that's one of the, the first practical points. You need relationships to be able to sustain you through sad times. If you want to experience joy in difficult times, you need those relationships. You need those people that you can share your difficulties and your struggles with. Those people that you can be honest with. I'm not saying that you bump into someone in the street and they say, how are you doing? You just let it all out. That's not necessarily appropriate, but you do need to have people. And maybe for you, you might think, actually, I just need to pay for that. I need a counsellor I can go to, and that is absolutely fine. But you need someone you can be open and honest with. And you need relationships that will help you support in your t- in time of trouble. Paul had that. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, as what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains... 
most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and there all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. See, what is Paul doing here? He's in chains, probably not literally, but he's got a guard, he's in house arrest, imminent execution. What is he seeing here? What he's seeing here is the positive, the good in what is a bad situation. He has a positive outlook on life. He's going, well, I may be stuck, but actually this is really emboldened all the believers out there to go and preach the gospel. Isn't this amazing? So he has a positive outlook on life. He looks for the good in life. Let's carry on. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble while I'm in chains. So stuff is going on here. There's some political stuff going on. But he says in verse 18, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I have joy. What has Paul got here? What Paul has got here is a higher purpose to his life. He's got something that's more important than just him. And our higher purpose varies depending on all of us. It might be our family. It might be our friends. It might be the environment. Actually, if you want to be able to still experience joy in sad times, you need to have something which is bigger than yourself and your circumstances that you can see positivity in. For Paul, that was preaching the gospel of Jesus. That despite him being where he was, he saw how fruitful his ministry was being and how the gospel of Jesus was still being preached. Let's carry on. And yes, I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Let's just look at that word deliverance for a minute because what we could think of, okay, he's in Rome, he's imprisoned, and what he's hoping for is the Salvation Army are going to swing in on ropes and rescue him from captivity and he's going to escape and everything's going to be okay. Well, let's just read on because it's actually the word here is not so much deliverance, but it's salvation, being saved. And he describes this as, I eagerly expect and hope that I in no way will be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. He's hoping that he's not going to show himself up, but he's going to have the courage and the strength to continue to live as a follower of Jesus, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. See, Paul is not putting his hope in someone rescuing him from prison. He is putting his hope in something which goes beyond life. You can put the next slide up. So the four things we get here, relationships, having people we can enjoy life with, but also share life with. A positive outlook, look for the good things. A higher purpose, something in your life 
which you can look to and, and work towards that is beyond just yourself. And those three things are all things that it's good to build now when things are okay. It's no good trying to do that when everything goes wrong. It's about building good habits now so that you automatically start looking for the positive despite everything being messed up. Relationships, positive outlook, higher purpose. But for Paul, his key thing that gave him joy was that he had hope beyond this life. See, at the beginning I said joy and sadness are not mutually exclusive. They are not opposites. See, the opposite of joy is not sadness, it's hopelessness. The opposite of joy is not sadness, it is hopelessness. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to say to you that you have hope. Not that everything will be all right in this life. Not that you're going to be cured of every illness. Not if you just think positive enough that you will have the life that you want. But ultimately, you have hope because Christ died for you. You have, been, you have received deliverance because Christ died for you. As I come to an end now, I want to read to you these words from Isaiah chapter 53. And this is written by a prophet, Isaiah, to a nation who were in sad times. Their Jerusalem, their city had been destroyed. They'd been taken into exile. Life is rubbish. But they look forward to a hopeful future. And they look forward to a man of sorrows, a man of suffering that Isaiah describes here. It says, he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. See, joy is our response not to our present circumstances. It just doesn't make sense to be joyful. Oh, great, excellent, I've got cancer or whatever. It doesn't work. That's nonsense. Joy is not our response to our present circumstances, but to our faith in Jesus. A faith that can be believed and hoped in, and yet is unseen. That is how Paul is able to say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, because he had that hope. And you can have that hope too. And in a moment, I want to pray for you. I'll just leave you with these words that we're going to be singing, or we're going to have sung to us in a moment. On that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me, now my soul cries out, hallelujah, 
praise and honour unto thee. Let's take a moment just to respond to some questions that will appear on the screen. Do you look on the bright side of life? How can you start to look for the goods in life? Where do you find purpose? Read 1 Peter 1 verses 8 to 9. Do you want to be filled with inexpressible and glorious joy? 